0: Welcome back to University of Minnesota Extension's Nutrient Management Podcast. I'm your host, Paul McDivick, Communications Specialist here at U of M Extension. Today on the podcast, we're talking about biostimulants. We have three members of Extension's nutrient management team, Dan Kaiser, Paolo Pagliari, and Carl Rosen. Can you each give us a quick introduction and also tell us a little bit about how the coronavirus situation is impacting your research?
1: Well, this is Dan Kaiser. I'm a nutrient management specialist at the U of M St. Paul campus. Um, this year um, I think the big thing that we're going to be seeing this year is some of our travel restrictions. I mean the university has come out with some strict policies which I think uh, Carl could probably address a little bit more than I can but um, one thing I will probably see this year more than anything is just more of a limitation on where our research is and I've also been um, few issues with um, just not being able to do a few things that we would have in in some previous years. So that's, I think the main thing on our end is I've just been trying to get things kind of where it's more manageable, where that limits the travel, because that's really the big thing right now is um, we really don't want to have people on the road any more than we absolutely have to.
2: uh, This is Paulo Pegliari. Uh, I'm a nutrient management specialist as well. I'm located at the Southwest Research and Outreach Center at Lamberton. Uh, and just like Dan uh, mentioned, uh, we have been uh, not doing much work at this station. Uh, only the essential personnel are allowed to be there to just upkeep the place. Uh, and we are uh, getting a lot of authorizations to do the field work. Um, and now we are, we are set to go. Uh, and it's, it's moving slow uh, to make sure that everything is safe and we're following all the protocols. Um, and luckily, once the weather gets better, we'll be able to get on a field and get the trials set up uh, and, and get the research pods going. Carl, I'll leave it up.
3: Yeah, thanks, Paulo. And this is Carl Rosen. I'm a nutrient management specialist as well. Also department head for the Department of Soil, Water, and Climate. And I've been uh, involved with uh, a lot of the uh, approval process. All of the projects through the Department of Soil, ha- uh, Water, and Climate have to go through me. Um, I will read them over and then uh, send them on to the dean, who will then uh, uh, have final say on whether the projects are approved. So every individual project needs to be approved, and to get the project approved, we have to follow very strict protocol. Uh, that For travel, it means uh, only one person in it per vehicle, and um, it also means uh, social distancing once you're at the uh, site, and uh, disinfecting anytime you're um, going to meet with other people, like at a gas station or filling up, we have to disinfect everything uh, as we move on. So it's very strict protocols. Um, our efficiency is obviously going to be down. And so our research is, is impacted. But uh, I think uh, given the situation, this is what we need to do to uh, limit the uh, spread of the, the virus. Uh, I think the lucky thing is that we are able to do field research. We're very fortunate that we're not losing a year for most of our projects. There may be a few that are we have to postpone for a year, but uh, for many of our projects, we're still uh, conducting the research under um, very strict protocols. And we're very pleased that we're able to do that.
0: All right, thanks for that update. Um, starting off with this uh, episode. um, What are biostimulants and what products are currently on the market?
1: Well, with biostimulants, there's really currently no legal definition. Um, I know there's some things being done now with uh, the USDA, and I'll have Carl kind of address that here in a moment. Um, Just with um, some of – with rulemaking and stuff when it comes to some of this, because it's really been kind of – I don't know if I'd call it the Wild West, but it's been a lot of – lot of products out there in terms of product additives um, that we've seen that we've tested and this isn't anything new Um, when we start looking at this it's just there's more of a emphasis on this when it comes to uh, situations like farm to table and some of these Mm -hmm. other things that we're really looking at trying to trace back and looking at different ways to manage crop nutrients Um, in terms of categories right now I think there's there's five major categories um, humic substances amino acids and other end compounds, uh, chitosins, uh, seaweed extracts, and then beneficial microorganisms. Uh, really in this podcast today, I don't think we're going to cover all of these um, because with some of our product testing, we've we've done um, a few of these, and I think I'll, I'll talk about some of those in terms of um, here in a moment what we've done here at Minnesota. But um The main challenge with testing a lot of these really is that um, these products can be applied individually, but a lot of times what we see is these products applied in combination, and they can be in combination with fertilizer sources, particularly like micronutrients, and uh, so testing them can be a challenge if you're trying to look at the different categories and what they're supposed to be doing. Um, Really today, the two we probably won't be discussing much are the seaweed extracts and the amino acids and other antin compounds, because I guess I haven't really come across many of those that we've tested. It's mainly been Humic substance and the beneficial microorganisms have been kind of the big two. And then I'll have some testing this year looking at the chitosins as
3: well. Yeah. And sometimes those amino acids are just thrown in there um, with other products. um, Some of the microbials, sometimes there'll be vitamins thrown in as well. So there's, there's, A lot of different uh, combinations, as Dan said. I think maybe what we can say in terms of a definition, even though there's no legal definition yet uh, in the US, um, there are some working definitions that we can say, and I would say that plant biostimulants are um, uh, substances or microorganisms that function when applied to plants or the rhizosphere. Uh, That function is to stimulate uh, natural processes and enhance or benefit nutrient uptake and nutrient efficiency, possibly uh, tolerance to abiotic stress, things like drought, um, and improve crop quality and yield. So those are um, supposed to come from, the, uh, come from these biostimulants. Um, as Dan said, there's no legal de- definition yet, but um, USDA is working on that right now. Um, there was supposed to be something coming up last December. I think that's been stalled a little bit, but uh, somehow we need to have a, a kind of a uniform policy on on definition and, and what can be claimed and what can't be claimed for, for some of these products.
2: Yeah, I don't think there is uh, much more left for me to, to add to this particular question. I think uh, Dan and Carl did a very good job of describing what the product is and, definition of when
3: it's used. I I guess, yeah, there's one thing I do want to say that um, I think the reason why we're talking about this right now is because it is one of the fastest growing segments of the uh, agricultural industry. Um, It's seen as a way to uh, add value to fertilizer products, for example, and there's lots of different uh, product names, different formulations I think we're not going to get into the specific product names but just more of the or less the different classes that we've that we've worked on.
0: Yeah, and that was part of my next question. What classes of products do you see gaining a larger foothold in agriculture?
3: So the the ones I see are the are the microbials. That's probably the fastest growing segment of the ones that Dan mentioned. Um, and there's a lot of research on that. I think uh, our new techniques and microbiome research and soil ecology. We're learning a lot more about the microorganisms in the soil and, and how they function. Um, some of this is tied to soil health. And so it all gets kind of uh, in, intermingled into, into different things. So um, I do think that there's some potential for some of these microbials. Um, they may not work under all situations, but it's an area of research that That's very exciting for a lot of us.
1: Uh, One of the things I did see, you know, a number of years ago were the humic substances being kind of a a bigger foothold when we were dealing, say, five years ago. So, you know, products like uh, HydroHume from Helena, I I heard a lot of advertisement on the radio for that particular product. Um, There's a lot of these Leonardite coal derivatives that were around there so I mean it's interesting because these things tend to shift and I think as Carl said the biggest thing is the beneficial microorganisms right now and that's the the big thing if you look at a lot of the trade magazines of what's coming through so Paulo I don't know if you have any comments on that.
2: Yes I just to emphasize what you two said as well uh, most of the trials that I've done uh, is on the biological agents and uh, some products are, like you guys said, there is microorganisms. Some others are uh, enzymes. And those are the major two that I have worked with. And there is a lot more research. I think over the last five years, uh, the number of publication in scientific peer-reviewed journals on the, on the microbial use, uh, it's really exploding. So I think there is um, a lot of work being done in the U.S. It's not as... As much as in developing countries, uh, I think that's related to soil types. I see a lot of work being done in soils that are more of those older soils. that have much lower fertility levels Um, and there seems to be some positive results that are coming out of the use of those uh, products. And it will be interesting to see how that starts to look the more research we do in soils like what we have in Minnesota that are much more fertile, much richer, a lot more nutrients available. Uh, so it will be interesting to look at how that performs in our area.
1: On the organic side, I mean, you've seen this pretty much since you've been here working with the organic. Have some of these products been around? Or, uh, because for when we look at conventional ag, I mean, a lot of these things, you look at the last few years is when I've been hearing about them more and more, but I assume they've been around in some of the organic sectors for a little bit longer period of time.
2: That's correct. It has been around the organics for much longer, and I think that's how it kind of started for a lot of products, was more as uh, a need for organic farmers. But most of the work that I have done is all unconventional. I think a lot of the companies are now jumping into this larger market, and I've been approached mostly to do work on uh, conventional agriculture. I think the organic, um, they've they done a lot of work already, uh, but I think now, Their market is for the conventional, which is where research is lacking.
0: So what does the research in Minnesota say about these products? Should farmers be taking a greater look at biostimulants?
3: Well, uh, I guess I'll say one thing is that we've been doing research on various biostimulants, kind of alternative uh, agricultural and non-conventional products for many years. In fact, there's a regional committee that's been set up was set up back in the early 80s to look at some of these products. So uh, a lot of them in the past you know were kind of inconsistent I guess at best would be the results. Um, I think with some of the new research with uh, some of the microbials where we're really getting at um, what might be more specific for a particular crop rather than just throwing some microbes out there for all crops We're trying to match up the microbes for specific species like corn, which may not work for another crop like soybeans or potatoes or something like that. So there's a little more specificity involved now. Um, And I think the research is yet to determine under what situations they all work um, or don't work. Um, Those are some of the things that we need to define and i think that's where the active areas of research are right now trying to, to, to trying to figure out when they work if they do that's great can we define those conditions uh, if they don't work what's the reasons for that is there too much competition of native microorganisms in the soil i mean you might be able to find something out in a lab and there's a lot of this is based on laboratory research where you can you know have more sterile conditions. You can really look at the function of those microbes. But then when you put them out into a field situation, those microbes need to compete with thousands of other species and uh, sometimes they'll lose out.
1: Yeah, and I look at some of my data, um, go back to about about 2011 and we, um, Started doing some work with a product called Accomplish LM, which is a, a micro, microorganism product. Um, I had probably five. Uh, I had five locations for the initial study. We had another five locations after that. Um, one of the locations saw, uh, you know, a nice yield increase. Was the first one we did. So I thought, well, well, are we going to see something consistent on this this particular product? And as Carl said, that's one of the things we see that a lot of these products are consistently inconsistent. Is the way I would I would put it. Um, although you go on the uh, website for the product uh, you'll see my research showing a seven bushel per acre yield advantage, um, from that one site. But what you really need to dig into is going a little bit further and you know, what it kind of be nice to see more from these, these companies is the percentage of time it works. Um, I know a lot of them probably aren't going to want to show that because you, you see a low percentage of time where we see some of these positive benefits. So that's, that's one of the challenges. And, um, Recently, we've been look, working at a product called Proven uh, from Pivot Bio. This is a um, one of the beneficial microorganisms. They had two sites out last year. It was a interesting study because we had strips where we had this product in furrow. And this is a, a microorganism that was isolated from the corn roots. And what they've done is tried to engineer it so it survives when nitrogen or higher rates of N are applied. And that's one of the things, as, as Carl mentioned, is you start getting these things into the soil, you put nitrogen to it. We tend to see that. Really some of the native biology tends to win out, so these things are trying to right now it's I think these newer products are trying to really get around that particular issue and you know we could see the product we could see the down to the row where we had it on at least in one of the sites and it was interesting looking at some of that data because we saw just a small increase in growth, it was about a two percent increase in growth, and we could see the difference with some of our sensing values with our spad meters. Um, in season but we never saw an increase in nitrogen uptake and yield was exactly the same at the end of the year so it looked like it was doing something it just wasn't translating it back into yield so that's one of the things that i'm interested in is with as rich as our soils are as you know are these things if they do produce nitrogen are they producing them at a time when our soil is just naturally pumping out a high level of nitrogen so maybe there's a benefit there but it's just not enough really to give us a, a reduction in the amount of nitrogen required and that's really the biggest thing I see these things being promoted for right now is is to being able to reduce the nitrogen. But this isn't going to be anything that we can eliminate nitrogen use in, particularly corn production, because there just isn't, you're not going to produce enough. So you might be able to reduce it, um, maybe reduce the need for a supplement an application, maybe, you know, 10, 20, 30 pounds. But that's going to be it. We're still going to have to have some nitrogen applied. These are just things that, you know, may go in and help us. Get into some of these real difficult years where we, you know, have something maybe there that'll produce more nitrogen that we maybe not necessarily need a supplement and application. So, Paulo, did you have some comments?
2: Yes, um, just to to um, explain a little bit further. A lot of times when those products have been developed, they, like Carl mentioned, they are tested under conditions that likely never will be seen in a field for example they might use just washed sand as the media where they're growing the plants and adding those microbial to it it's usually used in media that is very low very low in fertility and that's links back to what i said earlier that in in countries where the soil is very poor not a lot of nutrients available not a lot of organic matter anything you throw in those soils will likely give a little help to the crop and i think that's why a lot of the the results in poor soils come from, is that there's not much in the soil and the little you add to it, they will improve the conditions for the plants. Now for us, one of the things that I, I, I like seeing that is happening now is uh, that we have a lot of capability to do some very complex analysis, start looking into microbial community, and we can start applying some of those uh, products to a field and start to Measure was there a change in microbial community before and after you added these products, and start to see whether or not they are causing a change for those that claim that they change uh, the biology of the soil. We can test it and make sure that they are changing or whether or not they are not changing. Um, And that on the long run will help us to better understand when those products work, when they don't, because then if we know there was a changing community, we can also track the soil properties that were changing, then starting to see whether or not we can uh, be more predictable on when those products would work to start giving the farmer uh, better recommendations to when they might see a success of using those products and when they might not. But I think that the research, especially in my case, using some of this uh, more precise methodology is still just starting and just having a few uh, grants that went out now asking for funding to do some of this more biological work in terms of microbial community in the soil as affected by some of those products. Um, so it would be interesting to see after we get some funding and do some some work in our soils to, to relate that back to the farmer and start providing them with some of the, the research data that they need to make their decisions.
1: That's one of the challenging things I guess I have on the research side is we can't always get into some of the nuts and bolts on what's going on in the soil um, just because a lot of times these testing studies they don't have enough funding really dig deep into some of um, getting in some of the microbial communities and seeing if these things are actually surviving and that's really the the main question. Um, You know the big thing I stress to a lot of growers is when you're looking at a lot of this data just you've got to look a little bit deeper into what exactly is there because as Paulo said is you know when I talk about my accomplished LM data one out of ten years question is, why did I get that response there? And I don't know. Again, we haven't been able to dig into it. I mean, there could be a number of factors that come into play, but it's still, it's one out of 10. So, you know, when back when I was testing that corn was looking at, we're getting to $7 a bushel. So I think farmers were a little bit more or or a little bit less risk averse and were willing to try a few more things, but you just have to be careful when you, you read into some of this. And I've got one example here. This was an article that was sent to us was specifically related to this product proven. Uh, the the title on the article is "Farmer quits synthetic nitrogen, goes to end-producing microbe in corn," which is a very catchy title. But you read into that essentially, and where it seems like the farmer's going to these microbes and getting away from fertilizer, it really isn't the case. It's just that farmer was eliminating the need or or not doing a side dress application, but still had was applying synthetic and fertilizer. So it's one of the things with these that. I really stress is just looking into the data, looking at where the information came from, because as Paulo said, you you look at where they developed a lot of these products. I mean, it isn't necessarily in the most rich soil. In the the lab, the things can happen that we don't see in the field. So just be careful and ask questions. Um, Carl mentioned that NCRA 103 committee, um, there is a compendium of non-traditional products on the web. Um, It's hosted through Iowa State at the time being. And um, if you know what the, product and what the active ingredient is a lot of times you can just search for that active ingredient in the compendium and see what information is out there that's that's probably the best source i think for for people that want to look at some of this right now is looking at some replicated non biased data and just seeing kind of what some of that information says versus um, what you see on the web that um, is going to be some of the best results they have within a within a given um, set of research trials
3: yeah the the problem with that is there's so many products out there we can't possibly test everything in a replicated trial, so that's kind of the limitations, and sometimes the companies will change the name around, they'll change the formulation, and, but it is a good first place to start and see if there's anything done. Um, I guess one other thing I wanted to mention is that with these microbials, you might want to look into the, um, actually what the function is supposed to be. For example, you can have bacteria that's, that you're applying, or you could have fungi. And in most cases, the fungi are are, uh, mycorrhizae. And so the function of most of the mycorrhizae is primarily for phosphorus. Uh, There may be some other other benefits in terms of zinc and maybe some water stress um, effects. But, uh, you know, kind of look at the situation as to what those microbes are supposed to do. A lot of the bacteria might be uh, free-living nitrogen fixers but they might also have some other uh, hormonal effects or growth regulator effects on root growth, things like that. So there's lots of different functions that these uh, microbials are um, uh, kind of uh, uh, intended to, uh, to uh, uh, invoke in, in terms of plant response.
0: All right, that about does it for the podcast this week. We'd like to thank the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, AFRAC, for supporting the podcast.